Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for Savage Critics' website. Today, Graham McMillan and I discuss our preparations, both mental and physical, for seeing Green Lantern the movie. We also go on to talk about the Marvel event from 1989, Atlantis Attacks, Mark Grunewald's legacy on Captain America, Jack Kirby, Neil Gaiman, and the Braganza de Dio interview tour, Avenging Spider-Man, the perfect setting for Tron 3, and much more. Awesome. We hope you enjoy Graham's dramatic interpretation of a beloved comic book character. Thanks for listening. In brightest day, in blackest night, there's no way that movie wouldn't be shite. <laughs> Guess what I'm going to see tonight, Jeff? No, really? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to press screen. Well, I would say lucky you, but you're actually going to go see that movie, so I think it's really... <laughs> It has to be said, there came a point where I realized that even though I'm going to press screening, I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. And the only reason I'm going is because otherwise I might be tempted to pay money to see it. Well, see, that's it. That I think that's kind of the brilliant part about it is short of sneaking into the theater, you know, there's just there's not going to be much of a way that you're going to get another opportunity to see this um, and escape you know, unbesmirched, I guess, lose little more than the time, I suppose. But yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, the the pre-reviews make it sound um, make it sound terrible. <laughs> well, the thing that's interesting, I mean, I I don't know which reviews you've read yet. Have you have you read any, or are you just sort of going on where I I have or? I have read uh, the Time Out review, the News of the World review in the UK. Um, and the Hollywood Reporter review in the U.S. And I'm also going on word of mouth. Ah, okay. Because I, I read the review by um, that someone linked to uh, uh, Drew McWeeny's uh, oh, review. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think. Wait, how's that? No, that's Netflix one. I've, I've read the IGN one, I think, which is mm-hmm. terribly damning. Mm, yeah, and this one is similar. Like, I just, someone, I don't even remember who linked to it, but I the thing that was kind of disappointing was everything that he said he didn't like was exactly everything that I suspected they weren't, that they were going to drop the ball on, I guess, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, so unless he's, unless he's really wrong, you know, or just so much in my wheelhouse, but he, he starts out the, the review by a saying that he wanted to like the movie and B he spent a good chunk of time sort of, I think discussing it on its own, merits before going on to talk about the the green lantern fan mythos stuff so uh i I thought it was a good review but at the same time i was like ooh, ooh boy yeah that's yeah it just it just sounds like it's going to be a a horrendous misfire Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you kind of knew i mean when the, the screenings were last week and no one said anything and then when i said on twitter why is no one even saying that they saw it and people were like well there's been an NDA. It's like, no, it, every screening you go and see, yes. there's an NDA. And generally people say things like, I saw it. You, you, it's a shame you have to wait. The right, fact that exactly. no one did anything, it was like, oh, this is a dog. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. But it's, yeah, it's totally true that when people say stuff, they're normally like, well, just saw last week and I got to say, super excited. And then you're like, oh, wow, it's going to be good after all. And then you're like, oh, no, wait, Kevin Smith said this. Okay, well, all right. So, But, but what is um, funny is, so I'm going to press screening tonight. Uh huh. I wasn't invited. I, I invited myself. <laughs> uh, I, 
I emailed the um, publicist and was like, I know you're having a press screening. Can I go? Mm -hmm. And she gave me a ridiculously hard time uh, about how did I find out that it was going on uh -huh. before saying, well, because you're a really big comic fan, you can come. <laughs> and what was awesome is two things. One, I don't think she realizes that like I write for Time and I write for Spinoff and I write for CBR and I write for Newsarama. I think she literally just thinks I'm a comic fan. She just listens to the podcast. No, you mean like just literally because you like emailed her? Because like... I emailed her. I was like, because I didn't say anything like I write for all these people. <laughs> I was just like, I know you're doing. I know you're doing an event on Thursday on Wednesday. Oh man. Uh, oh. you know, can I come? Mm -hmm. And she was also like, "How do you know it's happening?" And I didn't have to tell her. <laughs> Eric from the Portland Mercury like wrote a blog post where he said the Green Lantern screening is happening in Portland on Wednesday at 7pm <laughs> she's like no one's supposed to know and it's like someone actually wrote a blog post that was the entire point of the blog post that it's happening on Wednesday at 7pm uh, I just I, I wish she'd been sort of sensible enough to like Google your name before getting back to you rather than giving you grief about it. You know? I, 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 she, but she must have because she's like, you're a really big comic fan. I just like, I didn't say anything in the email. Like, right. I'm a really big comic fan. Let's go. So I think she has Googled. Do you think? I don't think. Maybe. Maybe. I personally think that the idea would be only a really big comic fan would be oh. harassing her about getting into a press screening and can't wait for another like two days or something. Well, that's just it. Like, if see, if I'm her tonight, I'm gonna be like, you know, you do know I write for all these people, and like, I should, you should probably be keeping them in some sort of email list anyway, right? Because <laughs> the funny thing is, I've talked to her before. Oh, okay. About other movies, and I don't think she remembers at all. <laughs> Crime. I find that impossible to believe. How could anyone forget you? Oh, <laughs> oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I went to Green Lantern tonight, and I fully expect it to be terrible. Yes, uh, I, I sort of feel that uh, I also fully expect it to be terrible. Well, again, you know, which is kind of a bummer. I sort of, I don't want it to be, but it's kind of like every oh, no, piece I, of evidence. I, I really want to like it, but mm -hmm. I think if I honestly think that, I'm going to be disappointed. This is honestly how I feel about it right now. I'm hoping that because my expectations have been lowered so much, I will like it more than I expected. Therefore, I will like it. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like trying to double bluff yourself. <laughs> oh my! I have to say, uh, yeah. I hope that psychological warfare you're using on yourself actually works. Yeah, yeah. Because how could it fail? <laughs> Well, gee, if we just uh, podcast tomorrow, I could have gotten your review of the whole thing. So, oh, well. No, we're podcasting today, Jeff. It's Wednesday. We podcast on Wednesday. That's what we do. Apart from last week, when we did the <laughs> groundbreaking yes. uh, podcast, uh, the technologically challenged podcast with uh, Brian. <laughs> you know, I, I was really proud that we did that. and I thought, it was, I thought it was great. And I generally think everything we do is terrible. But I thought that was a really, really good podcast. <laughs> Wait, you do? I'm apparently too easily pleased with myself. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was, it was actually, it was a really good thing. It was great ending up. And, and the amazing thing is, is that uh, at least for me, is like because we did those two podcasts in basically one week. It's, 
we're still on our weekly schedule. We have Yeah, I know. We caught up. I was thinking that yesterday. I was like, not even like we had a week off, even though we had a week off. <laughs> go go team like weird anxiety about taking time off. <laughs> That'll look great on a jersey. Uh yeah, yeah, exactly. Weird anxiety. It'll be kinda interesting to see what we do uh next month, I guess. Because uh I'll have to figure something out. So, uh, the great thing is, is because we have talked about those things and written capsule reviews, I'm sort of like, okay, well, what are we going to talk about? Oh, I, I've got something for you, Jeff. I've got something I didn't even mention in my capsule reviews that I know is going to make your day. Fabulous. Jeff, when you were up in Portland, you and I went to Excalibur Comics together. We did. When we were in Excalibur Comics, we looked at the incredibly overpriced hardcovers. And one of those hardcovers we looked at and made fun of was Atlantis Attacks. <gasps> Guess they... what I got out of the library? No. Yes. <laughs> I have read all... Hang on, how many pages is it? Da, da. Uh, I have read all 535 pages of Atlantis Attacks. Atlantis Attacks, the crossover that makes fear itself look coherent. Fucking shit. Fucking, fucking shit. Well, uh, please, tell me more. <laughs> There's actually so much to love about this Atlantis Attacks book. <laughs> uh, not least of which is it starts with the cross... It starts with um, Silver Surfer, written by Steve Englard. So therefore, you know you're in for the greatness. Straight right. up. And it really pretty much is all massively downhill after the first chapter. But um, <laughs> talking about starting the way you mean to go on, the credits for the Steve Englehart written chapter actually reads SFX Englehart story. Not Steve, SFX. SFX. Because it's a summer blockbuster, you see? Oh, I see. Does everyone else have similarly clever names? No, no. No, just him, huh? Just, just Englehart. <laughs> um, did you read Atlantis Attacks when it happened? I didn't. I did not. So here's here's the shocking discovery I made while reading Atlantis Attacks. Mm -hmm. It's not actually about Atlantis attacking at all. Really? Yes. In fact, it's fair to say that Atlantis doesn't actually really attack. They kind of attack, <laughs> but they attack at like maybe one annual and get beaten. And this is halfway through the story. <laughs> what it's really about is um, the deviant gore, or gore perhaps, from the Eternal series. Mm-hmm. Uh, decides he is going to team up with... He's going to get the Serpent Crown and take over the world. That's okay. the plot of Atlantis Attacks. All right. I mean, uh, yeah. I, you I... might think, you might think, how did that last 14 annuals? The answer is this. Through every fucking way of killing time possible. There are so many, like, <laughs> side, side plots that go nowhere, including, my favorite, at one point... Well, there's the whole Punisher annual, which is stunning in and of itself. But, um... The, that wow yeah because the viper comes into it because it's serpent crown because yeah Atlanta attacks is really all about snakes viper comes into it and she has a drug that is turning people into snake men wow and so the punisher and moon knight team up to uh stop this happening uh and they find out this happening because one of these snake men goes into a pet store and eats a rat in front of everyone <laughs> and, and the punisher is like i've got to follow that guy something's up that's actually, honestly, how he finds out that that's going on. Also, um, I, I always want to say Glorious Godfrey, but it's a nihilist. 
Not an island. <laughs> Who is this guy? The Marvel guy who's going to discover it. Who is the Marvel guy who's essentially Glorious Godfrey? Oh, um, you know the guy I'm, I'm talking about? Tyrannus. Who? Tyrannus or Tyrannus? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right, 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 right. He, he remodels himself as a lifestyle guru. Okay, okay. It, uh, that's a tough one because he basically started out as like the mole man's more handsome brother, and then they they seems like they never knew what to do with him basically. So, but he he becomes a a lifestyle guru who hypnotizes people into serving him slash set slash the serpent crown, including he hypnotizes Spider-Man and uh-huh. Cloak and Dagger for no mutually apparent reason. <laughs> um, well, that's true. The mutually apparent reason is that hypnotizing, Deer- uh, hypnotizing Spider-Man gives Daredevil someone to fight in his tie-in annual. Uh, of course. It's, it's just, it's all of it is crazy. It's, insane the entire book just goes you think you know where this plot's going nope <laughs> i seem to remember god was it the hulk annual of that though had lovely art like there was one one volume like one of the annuals i remember from... there, there's actually not a hulk annual but there's a hulk tie-in from marvel comics presents which is in this hmm, maybe i've got it wrong I... okay there there are the annuals for hang on i'll tell you that um silver surfer iron man avengers west coast uh x-men amazing spider-man punisher spectacular spider-man daredevil avengers new mutants x-factor web of spider-man thor and fantastic four hmm. Huh. Well, maybe my memory is for crap then. Here, hold on. Uh, well, or rather, continue talking while I Wikipedia Atlantis attacks and make. And discovered that you too want to read it. I wonder how much this book is now that I'm thinking about it. Seems like I got it out of the library and would never pay money for it. Holy crap! It's seventy-five dollars. Uh, listeners, if you bought, paid seventy-five dollars for this, I'm really sorry because you there's no way you could get your money's worth of this. What? It's oh my god. Five dollars, yeah. Um yeah, what's really, really weird about it is uh, Rob Liefeld does art on actually two of the annuals, which is kind of surprising. So it's obviously I mean it's it uh came out in eighty nine. So it's obviously like just on the cusp of, of that sort of generational change. Right. But the writers are Engelhart, Roy Thomas, uh Terry Austin, Mike Barron, Jerry Conway. Wow. It's so a... it, it really is like with this weird generational crossover. Totally. I mean, that is so, I mean, 89, but you've got a lot of the, the dudes from sort of the heydays of the 70s with. Yeah. And then you've got, so you've art by Ron Lynn, Paul Smith, John Byrne, uh, Mike Vosberg, Rob Liefeld, Bill Buckler. Right. Yeah. Rich Buckler, who is inked horrendously. <laughs> Uh, by Tony De Zuniga or however you, you know what? That. I'm totally thinking of the wrong event. I, I, I are you thinking of the this? Evolutionary War, which is not in the Portland Library, and I really wish it was. <laughs> oh God! After reading the Lance Attacks, I was kind of like, I want to read all of these. I want to read like Acts of Vengeance. <laughs> I want to read the Evolutionary War. <laughs> oh man! Well, see, this is the thing that is kind of terrifying. You know, we've spent a lot of time. And by we, I mean, I don't know, the marketing arm of comics divisions on the internet have spent a certain amount of time about talking about, well, actually, I take that back. Even even Hibbs talked about day and date as the new newsstand, so to speak. Uh, it sort of strikes me as a, way, as a sad fact that the library is sort of the new newsstand and they're stocking 
terrible, terrible books. Like, you know, I've gotten some great stuff from San Francisco Public Library, but they, I really feel the libraries are like, well, if it's in hardcover, I you know. see. You've said this before, and I think that's possibly true, but I would definitely say that Multnomah County Library is pretty much getting what people are asking it to get. Because there's an awful lot of stuff that's not covered that they don't have, and there's an awful lot of really obscure paperbacks that they do that are really good. I honestly think it's people putting in orders for this. Interesting. Well, that that, that could be, and Lord knows, I, I guess I would feel better about that, but I, I'm re I am shocked by some of the stuff where I'm like, Ooh, why in the name of God would anyone get this, you know? I mean, but of course it's one person's treasures, another one's trash. I'm like, why don't we, <laughs> why don't we have an absolute prez yet? You know, I, I don't know. Oh, give it time. Seriously, with everything <laughs> they're coming out with? It, might, it won't be absolute, but it'll be like the prez omnibus. Yes. Hardcover prez omnibus. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, With like a, a bunch of special features, which will probably be all the pages no, of the published issues of Prez. Cause it'll, just, yeah, it'll, it'll have, have, it'll have that, and it'll have Green Team. It'll be like the Joe Simon 70s omnibus, you know, and I'll throw the Power of the Geek. And the thing is, I would buy that. I, I would totally, yeah. If you if you lumped all of those all in one little thing, I'd totally go for that. DC, come on. Make it happen. Don't, don't let us down here, DC. You've got two people, which seems to be about your uh, prerequisite standing for a lot of your uh, hardcover collections. Hey, I really like The Creeper by Steve Ditko. Thanks very much. Dude, I, I'm so thrilled that we're getting like a Commandy omnibus that's got the first 20 issues. Like, <laughs> this is going to be my third time buying the material, probably. Oh, but I'm telling you, if the second volume takes it all the way up to the end of the Kirby run, that's spectacular. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it it would sort of have to. It'd be so close. If they just do 20 issues time, it'd be like three issues yeah. short. Yeah. Well, wait, I thought he left in like... I thought he left in... Did he leave in the 40s? I thought he stopped I, writing I wanna, in 30 I something. Say, yeah, he might stop writing then. I'm pretty sure he's on art to like 43. Oh, wow. That sounds that sounds much later than I would have thought, which means that you are, of course, right. Let me see here. Blah, 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 blah. But also from the Multnomah County Library, guess what else I got talking about Marvel from the 80s? Mm -hmm. Captain America, the captain. The Mark Grunewald storyline where Cap quits and gets replaced by the crazy captain. Wow. The one that pretty much synthesizes, like, it's like he'd read um, Steve Englehardron and was like, right. what if I just do this again? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a popular idea. The whole, like, hey, Steve Rogers is out of action and the only but person it's, we it's, can rely it's on. It's kind of fascinating reading it. Reading it, uh, something that I didn't remember, because I remember reading it in single issues when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't remember that he explicitly points out that this has happened before more than once in the story because mm -hmm. you even have um nomad turning up and being like do you want the nomad identity back after all this is why you you created it right and cap's like no um but the other thing is like the gi joe reprints there's <laughs> much more social satire in there that i remember uh really yeah I mean, I totally, I, I remembered, and I remember reading this when I was like 10 years old and being like, what? Um, <laughs> no, it must be later than when I was 10. Maybe like 12, 13. Right. Um, Ronald Reagan consistently calling Nancy mommy. I remember reading that when I was a kid and being like, what's that all about? <laughs> um, but yeah, like... he's not social satire. Isn't that historically accurate? 
No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I think that was his nickname. For... I, I really hope that's not true, but I honestly have no idea. <laughs> uh, no, but there, there's there's a lot of uh, I don't know. It's it's satire of the politics of the time in a way that like you've never seen a cap title now. Yes. Well, do you know what yes, I mean? Like the right wing right. characters are satirical. Right. Um, they have a character called I want to say he's called Brother Earth. I might be getting that wrong. Um, who's an environmental activist mm -hmm. and like that's quite clearly satire and or parody do you know what I mean like it's quite clearly he's been reading up on what's happening with environmentalists and being like I can turn this into a superhero and doing it in this weird broadly comedic way right like like he's a park ranger who uh, tried to who found out that like corporate America was doing something with the park and instead of like you know trying to do anything within the system he quit his job grew his hair grew a beard took off his shirt and then discovered he had superpowers to fight the planet <laughs> i mean it's just awesome but like what <laughs> um, but, i mean again did you read that stuff when it came out i didn't this is it's, one of those it's got, the, it's got the kirby character the kirby mutant force characters that are in this uh, yeah and i which i've heard so it's like i you know it's i'm trying to figure out why i dropped i i think probably grunwald must have started right after 300 i'm tempted to say yeah I, right? he must have started like because i'm sure i read like 310 or something which isn't the earliest captain america i ever read at the time and it was well and he was like in the middle of it yeah, and so I, he must have started really soon. Yeah, because I think I definitely had issue three hundred of of Captain America, which is the conclusion of Jam Dematius's big uh, Red Skull storyline. And I think I read like an issue or two after, and just kind of didn't like the approach, and so just dropped it. He started at three oh seven, apparently. Oh wow. Okay. So, and I mean, honestly, at that point. I was never the sort of person that was going to like buy a title, you know, do or die. Like I had read everything through Kirby and then, you know, into the two hundreds. But honestly, I missed like the Stern burn run. I think I jumped off before that. And I remember seeing it on the stands and I'm like, huh, John Burns art. Yeah, I'm not picking it up. So <laughs> I, I, if you jumped off after Demaris, it looks like you, the writer that threw you off was Mike Carlin. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would that would make some sense. That would make some sense. I mean, no, you know, again, Grunwald. And by that point, I think, you know, Grunwald, again, I mean, I was going to the shops all the time. So I was buying other superhero books. I must have picked it up. And I who knows what I was underwhelmed by. But of course, he then goes on to be like, you he know, goes on to write it for an amazing like he wrote it for. From three oh seven up to four forty something. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a huge run. It is he is sort of he leaves the book and people you know go on to refer to him as the definitive cap writer. You know. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote until four forty three. Mm -hmm. From three oh seven to four forty three. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My my friend Ren in New York actually is a huge Grunwald fan. Well, it, it has a tremendous fondness for the Grunwald's cap stuff. And I think, honestly, I think if that stuff got co collected, he'd be really, really super happy. I would well, love to check it out. That's just it. Like, a lot more of it's collected than you think. Oh. So I, I, I found that, and I was like, oh, I remember reading this as a kid. I'm going to get this. And I read it, and I enjoyed it much more than I expected. I mm -hmm. pretty much got it for the nostalgia element. But right. uh, but I, it's it's completely... 
I don't say completely fine, but that's kind of what I mean. Like, it, it's completely serviceable, enjoyable superhero work. Well, yeah. It doesn't really try and be anything more than it is. Right. And, right. and there are good stuff there too. are occasional just, like, you know, almost Easter eggs for readers who are looking for something else. Right. Um, but it doesn't really get out of the way of it. And I was like, I wonder what else has been collected. And, like, his Scourge story has been collected. Right. The, Cat wolf stuff has been collected. The bloodstone hunt has been collected. Mm -hmm. The cap is dying stuff has been collected. I mean, there's got to be, that's got to be like uh, a quarter of his stuff that's already collected. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's. I should. I should go and. Uh, I should look it up. But uh, yeah, it, it's that. That is interesting. That so much of it is in stock already. Before I forget, you were kind of right and kind of wrong, Commandy. Kirby was on the book doing art and writing until 37th issue and then drew 38 through 40 and then Conway scripted and then supposedly he's off after issue 40 so you're right it should fit perfectly into two omnibuses. which will be spectacular yeah absolutely so so good really looking forward to that yeah yeah I am I am Wait, too was, Cancelled at forty three then? No, it was cancelled at fifty nine according no, to No no no, it goes it goes on, yeah. It goes a for long a long way. Time. Wow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Fifty nine and apparently there were two issues that that popped up and cancelled comics cavalcade. Wow, which means they could probably make a third omnibus if it if it sells well. Yeah, which it wouldn't surprise me if they were half thinking of doing, you know, because I know that you know, again, it, it was an it was an early it was a book that I know that Levitz was in. I, I don't know if they would run the backup stories, but I believe there was a backup story, an OMAC backup story by Jim Starlin. I want to yes, say, yes, which bizarrely I have because I got it in a reprint. Oh right, right around the it, time of the Infinite Crisis. Yeah, it was it was, it was one of the countdown backup, it yeah, was one yeah. of the countdown specials. Right, um, and it's terrible. <laughs> it's blindingly bad. It's like he was like. I love Omag, and by that I mean I like the title and the mo and the Mohawk. What if I get rid of everything else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and is that the storyline where they go about trying to establish the continuity ties between Commandy and Omac? Yeah. Yeah. And which again, all I don't know. You know, it's I, I wanna say that's always a big mistake, but frankly I'm sort of glad that, you know, uh people like Grunwald and Simonson worked the Eternals into to the 616. I know that, I, like, I, I don't know. I, I always I know that Kurt Busiek, for example, is not a big fan of that and is is a fan of the they should all it should all stay separate or else it kind of doesn't work. And I'm I also understand that, but but yeah, I, I I, if someone had done something interesting with the Eternals in the main Marvel universe, I would agree, but I can't think of anything that was done interesting with the Eternals in the main Marvel Universe. No, I, I'm sure you are absolutely totally right. And yet, whenever a Celestial pops up in one of those books, you know, uh, it just makes me happier. Like, seriously, like I was like Hickman's FF. There's a point where the Celestials pop up to get their asses kicked by the, the, the Legion of Infinite Reeds. And I'm like, oh my God. The Celestials, they just look so good, you know? Like, <laughs> I just I just love those motherfuckers. Just seeing uh, them in a Marvel comic makes me happy. But I'm sure what, that you're what did you think, right. What did you think of the um, game in Romita? Oh, um, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of lousy and sloppy. I mean, it sort of felt like, to, to me, it had the, the massive... Well, like five, three quarters of it were, were very much like kind of like I felt like someone had like 
it felt like a recycled screenplay to me. You know, there were like bits and pieces in the opening of it and the whole kind of resetting the the reboot element of it kind of made me feel like, yeah, this sort of feels like someone's spec script that they got paid money to like return back into the comics. But then you've got like Tony Stark popping up and talking about the Civil War elements of it and Ugh, I just I, I'm not I'm not a huge Gaiman fan. In fact, I it's very safe to say that that is a very ass covering way of saying I really don't like Gaiman very much uh, generally. And um, so yeah, I, f- I thought it was really dull. What what did you think? I I would pretty much agree. I I thought it was a horrendous misfire. And if you ever liked anything by Gaiman generally, as long as oh god, I like I like an awful lot of stuff by Gaiman. Oh, do you? Um, I like Sandman. I think American Gods is a good novel. Um, to be fair, outside of Sandman, I'm really, really changeable in his comics work. I like the stuff he does with McKean. I mean, I, Violent Cases, I'm kind of hot and cold on, but I really like Sable to Noise. Uh, I like Mr. Punch. I like Mr. Punch a lot, actually. I thought that was um, well done. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Just I, I have a lot of problems with gaming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that pretty much once he, once Sandman was over, I feel that almost all the comic work he's done since, including the other Sandman projects, have been coasting. Right. Well, I think that this goes back to something I wrote a long, long time ago when I did a review of the of Coraline or Coraline, I don't Coraline, the the book, which is that Gaiman has a aversion to catharsis, I guess, that sort of strikes me as um, uh, an apposite to what I'm actually want to get out of my comic book reading experience. You know what I mean? So while I thought it worked well enough for Sandman, especially in of its time and place, I remember like jumping off Sandman at around issue 40 or so where I was just like, yeah, this just isn't, this is, this kind of isn't going where I want. Like, I liked some of the things that he was bringing to the table, which were very new at the time, but, like, I always felt like, wow, every, you're not really good, you're really going to totally kind of, like, puss out when it comes to every ending. I can just tell, I can just tell that your whole, your whole special trick ending is actually making it a non-ending, I guess, and, um, so all of which is to say, I feel like him with Kirby's Eternals is an especially bad choice because Kirby is is almost nothing but catharsis, you know? It's kind of like, you know, hey, here's a little bit of a story and pow, somebody's going to like be punched in the eye with like a steel hand. And uh, I, just, <laughs> I just never feel like there's enough of that going on in, in Gaiman's work generally. I, I'm laughing because I was also reading uh, another thing I got from the library this week was the Jack Kirby Collector Volume 5. <laughs> um, is it the all-steel-hand issue? No, uh... but it reprints uh, a lot of pages from his um, Soul Love book that was never released. Oh my god, I, I remember. And, and what's it? It's, it, I always want to call it like True Divorce Tales, but it's not actually called that. It's called something very similar. Right. Um, from the same era, so like he's so he's the seventies. He's a DC. He's trying to do non superhero stuff, right. and it never really gets released. Right. Uh, and they've got a lot of it. They've got a lot of those pages in in um, Jack Kirby Collector Volume Seven. Wasn't it like Tales of Divorce? It was something. It was something crazy like that. I, I, but um, but what's funny is you know he's doing romance, but he's 
by this point in Kirby's career, he's turned to, into like Jack Kirby, all in capital letters. Yes. And so even his romance comics are hilariously overblown. Oh yeah. Like oh, immediately yeah. start with people being like, "I love her." <laughs> right. Exactly. And she'll be like, "I am crying." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, Which, I love, but it's just when you're talking about, you know, Kirby comes rock stars and someone's getting punched down a steel hand. I honestly would not be surprised if that was like the unseen page three. Because <laughs> <laughs> so we love, hey, baby, I'm making the scene. Oh, I've been punched in the eye. I am blind. And then you'll be like, I will never see him because he can never see me. So I'm like all of it really tight close ups. <laughs> You know, apart from the fact that you left out the word awesome uh, that should have been sprinkled throughout like eight or nine times, I would say that's that's pretty an, pretty accurate summation, I have to say. Oh, man. Yeah, it was no. True divorce cases. Oh, true divorce cases. Right, right, right. <laughs> I got that, by the way, by uh, Googling Kirby divorce. Oh, nice. And of course, the first three things that come up are someone that a lawyer actually calls Kirby divorce. <laughs> Oh my god, that's spectacular. If only they could convince him to do a promotional comic that he could give to potential clients. Uh, in the Kirby manner. Oh, so good. Um, Kirby Collector, again, I, uh, something that I never buy because it's so blindingly expensive. Although that's not true. I buy the digital copies every now and again. Oh, do you? See, I was going to ask, because we had talked about that, uh, I don't know, I want to say a couple of weeks, by which I mean probably like three or four months ago, and I keep meaning to go back to tomorrow's website and buying a, and buy a couple of those, see how they would look. Now, now don't get me wrong, they're kind of pricey, and the Kirby Collector in particular is actually hard to read because it's printed oversized. Well, yeah, I would think that would be kind of hard on like... So, so when you're reading on like an iPad, the type is actually really small unless you zoom in. Right. So I also I also got uh, a copy of um, the Alter Ego, the hundredth issue of Alter Ego. Oh wow! Uh, which is magazine size and much easier to read, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also spectacular because it's Roy Thomas talking about his 1980s experience with DC. Oh wow! Which is basically I went there and had the best of intentions, and they fucked me. Yeah, well, they. I mean, he really he had all this stuff that was relatively successful for the time and then crisis on infinite earths just like like really fucked it like yeah i even after that like they basically are fucking him whole new ways like all of a sudden telling him that captain america uh, captain marvel is not available to him as a character wow after he's done his four issue origin story of it wow well that's uh, successful is no well, that's i because i always wondered as a kid why have they done four issues with captain marvel and they've never done a follow-up and it's because apparently Roy Thomas has told us, yeah, someone else is using them. Which turned out not to be true. No one used them for years. Um, and he, he talks about Iraq and he talks about uh, the Johnny Thunder series. It, it's a re- it's actually a really good interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so I got the Kirby Collector in PDF. But I got that because I just got the Kirby Collector 7 out of the library. And I just love the Kirby Collector. I think Kirby Collector is just spectacular. If only for the pencils. <laughs> I mean, even if you yeah. don't like the articles, and I like a lot of the articles, but I even do too. If you don't yeah. like the articles, mm-hmm. just the you know the ability to see pretty much you know half of his superpowers issue from 1984 in pencil form. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you know? it's true. It's true. 
yeah, I went through a period where I just bought a, a slew of them, and then I sort of eased off the, the throttle. As you mentioned, they're very they're, they're expensive. Uh, the oversized well, the, ones, the brand ones are really expensive. Brand ones are like ten dollars now. Right. Yeah, they're kind of hard to store because they're enormous, and I mean, again, as much as I, I love the book, I um, the title. I also found that after about, I don't know, like for me, like maybe a year, it kind of felt like they were just sort of repeating, you know, a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Like I love, I do love some of those, those, the soul love pages, but I swear that I've seen at least one complete story as a result of, you know, following the Kirby Cole. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me if that's like their third or fourth time around in the magazine. Yeah. Magazine. I mean, there well, was, I mean, the sad fact of the matter is there's really only so much they can talk about. And yeah, they're sure. on, like, you know, issue 52 or something. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been published <laughs> for a while. And and don't get me – I guess I'm just try, I'm not damning it or knocking it. I'm just trying to justify why I don't still – why I'm not still buying it despite the fact that I'm you – know. If you're buying a digital copy, and this is for you, Jeff Lester, and you, the listener, yeah. um, pick up issue 46, which is the Fourth World issue. Mm-hmm. And has stuff I've never seen before, which is Kirby's concept drawings for the superpower toys. Oh wow! Of Darkseid, uh, various military personnel for Apocalypse, Desad, the Royal Family of Apocalypse, Mantis, Metron, including Kirby's idea for vehicles that you could use for Metron for toys. Oh, that would be great. Including the Pyramid's power platform and the Mobius Mobile. The Mobius Mobile. Seriously, when you see this shit, you'll be like, oh, fuck, someone should just write this into the comic now. Yeah, 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 <clears throat> completely. There's also Orion pages and Scott uh, free pages. Mm. It's it's just, like, it's nice stuff. Mm. That's lovely. That's lovely. Now, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Gosh. Uh, I feel like I have something. Like, I keep making all these, like, bad transitions, like, gee, if only they'd gotten Kirby to design work for Green Lantern. <laughs> but I don't... No, no, but really, if only no. they had. Yeah, Although, exactly. that dead, he's dead. Um, <laughs> I don't, did, did you ever read uh, Superpowers? Which I think everyone knows that I love Superpowers. Um, I want to say yes. I definitely went through a period where I picked up the issues for the first series and not the second, and then I think only read the first two or three issues, I think. Cause it's, it's actually really strange because Kirby wrote all of the first series mm-hmm. but didn't draw it apart from the last issue. Mm-hmm. And he drew all the second series but didn't write it. Right. Yeah, um, was it so, Levitz or Kupelberg or who the heck uh, is in the second series? Yeah. Uh, Paul Kupelberg writes yeah. the second series. Um, and the second series is a follow-up to Hunger Dogs, mm-hmm. which makes it a complete oddity to me because I don't think anything else ever followed up in Hunger Dogs. Right. And also, it ends with uh, Dark Eyes Dead. Uh, which is kind of weird. And then the third series picks up with Darkseid kind of alive. But the third series is also really weird because the third series is written by Carmine Infan- uh, drawn by Carmen Infantino. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first of all, you've got like a big visual disconnect. But also, it's much more of a... It's much more the toy tie-in than the first and second series. Right. First and second series, you can pretty much read as like they're Kirby-esque comics. Mm-hmm. And third series is all of a sudden like they're in the Hall of Justice... And they have all these new vehicles that they are using. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, it's much more right. like someone said you should tie it more closely in with the toys. Right. Right. Yeah, 
and the people were like, okay. Well, yeah, sh- sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> but this, the first series in particular is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the last issue, which I'm pretty sure I've said this in the podcast before, sets up Grant Morrison's Rock of Ages storyline in the Justice League. Oh, yeah, you have said this. Yeah, I've really got to dig those damn issues up out of so storage. Yeah, uh, how how exactly does it set it up again? Because I know that this is something you've said. The Warlogog uh, appears for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Metron explains that like it's all about the Warlogog and introduces the Warlogog. Which no one then touches the concept until Morrison comes along and he's like, Hey, it's the Philosopher's Stone! <laughs> this is my story! Well, switching gears from Kirby to Morrison, as we're known to do, uh, did you see the, I assume you saw the little online video of him talking? About- I actually haven't. Really? Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance. Okay. Well, this is, this is. Is, is it good? Uh, you know, I just saw the excerpt that was on Heidi's blog, so I don't know if it's the whole thing or not, but I found myself going, huh, it seems, hmm, you know, like, I, as, as I think Morrison sometimes can to me when he speaks you know in that i think that he is always very measured and very uh sensible and always seems very what's the word sincere in what he's saying Mm -hmm. um but i think at some point i just kind of became aware of i sort of feel like he's saying just minor variations on what he's said and said other time I've seen him in public. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of that. I, I've had that feeling for a while. I've had the feeling that Morrison is repeating himself in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in his public appearances, maybe not in his work, although I think you could make that argument as well. Yeah. But I, I think there's, yeah, I'm definitely it, thinking it's, it's, public appearances. it's like he's come up against the wall of, there's only so many time. There's only so many ways I can say, "This is the furthest I've pushed superheroes ever." Right. You know, superheroes are the greatest idea humanity has ever had. Right. All of that stuff, and and so it really is becoming very repetitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was kind of hoping that this might be one where he sort of talks about. Uh, I don't know. You know, actually, between that and the Bob Harris. Eddie Berganza interview over at the Beat, which I'm assuming you read. Oh, I've read that. I've read the Comics Alliance one. I've read the CBR one. I've oh, read the Usarama wow. one. And it has to be said, if you've read one, you've pretty much read them all. <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. They really? obviously have talking points they want to hit. Right. Because they are working them in no matter what you ask them. You could ask them, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And they'll be like, the great thing about the relaunch is a death in the family still counts. Yeah. And you're like, what? I was I asked you what you had for breakfast. Are, are those new pants? Yeah, and so a killing joke still exists in this new continuity. And you'd be like, what? Are, are you in, do you have dreads? What's happening? What, why are you telling me that these two exist? But also, like, what the fuck? Why, why have a relaunch and then say these two stories, which dramatically affect characters that we're going to be using them in ways yeah. that leave them not in the position that we're using them. Why do you say those are the ones that exist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's fascinating. I find, I've, it, it's, I've just read the beat one and had woken up to see people sort of talking, re, you know, sort of um, tearing apart some of the various talking points. And I assumed it was from this inter- interview, didn't realize it was also from others. Oh, they, they did like five this morning. Yeah, and so, but the, 
but the whole idea of like, you know, having specific storylines continue from old continuities, I think, if nothing else, that's something that's internal that we should never know. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like, I feel like it's good if they have a game plan in a way of saying, like, okay, you know, this had happened, this hasn't, this is up for grabs, so that there's a, a little more of a sense of where people are going and starting with stuff. But, but a telling the fans that I'm, I'm really like what I kind of wanted that sort of thing that you get um, in um, uh, Scott Lobdell's uh, interview with on Titans, where he's kind of like, yeah, I definitely want to have the sense that things have happened before. I don't want to, I don't want to leave any, I don't want to exclusively write anything out but I definitely don't want to start including things. I just want you to get a sense of these are the characters they've been around and, you know, these are sort of their origins, I suppose. You know what I mean? And that struck me as far more sensible than saying, Hey, don't worry. Killing joke is still like, I don't even know why you would bother to mention killing joke and identity crisis as well. Does this actually, I think I know why. And I think it's everything to do with what Hib said last week. Which is that it's about making sure that the trade paperbacks are yeah. still. Yeah, it's about it's about, it's about making the backlist still viable. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Uh, because in September, guess what's getting a, a new hardcover? A death in the family. Ah, uh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I could I could understand where some of that stuff would come from. Like, I do, I think that you know one or two of those things, like definitely def death in the family. I'm like, yeah, sure. You kind of got, you know, even maybe, I don't know how but, but they that, would like, death of Superman that, in there. But. but no, death in the family is the one I think you have to take out mm. because death and family kills off Jason Todd, who is up and around now, which means in your reboot to simplify the character, you are keeping in the point where he got killed. Right. And brought back badly. Well, but to me, I think that, that the red hood as a character doesn't really have any motivation if you take away the fact that he was killed and brought back to life. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I know it sounds really dumb and kind of goofy, but... Well, uh, what I'm wondering is if they're keeping the stories in continuity, kind of. Right. I'm wondering if it's going to be the killing joke happened, but he didn't cripple Barbara, he just shot her. Mm. And she was out of commission. A death in the family happened, but he didn't kill Jason Todd. He just left him for dead. Batman saved him, and then Batman stopped him from being Robin, and that's why he's bitter. Because otherwise, you really are going like, hey, these characters are really simple. Jump on board now, but hey, here's the thing. One of them died and got brought back to life when someone punched reality, and the other one was crippled, but then she wasn't. Right. No, 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 like, no killing what? jokes like, a huge like, one, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> huh? Yeah. I mean, that right there throws me out of, of, uh, out of the book. Right. And not only that, you can't have Batgirl being crippled and then crippled. That is the one thing that everyone got upset about. No, I totally... The do. one thing that everyone was like, well, maybe it won't yeah. be that bad is because they're like, well, maybe they're just undoing all of it so it never happened. Right. And to then say, don't worry, fans, it happened, is kind of like, how badly are you misunderstanding your audience? Well, you're... What it is, is it's the classic trying to serve two masters at once, as usually, you know, as, as is the case, um, or as we suspect is the case, is on the one hand, you're trying to tell everybody full reboot, but then you're trying to tell, you know, people with the retailers, you know, and people buying the books, you know, oh, don't worry, this still counts, like, it can't, 
You know what I mean? Like, even if you like to talk about changing a death in the family around the way that you talk about it, if somebody turns around and picks up the big fucking hardcover, it's not like they're going to change those pages, you know? Unless they do. <laughs> do you think? I just don't think that they would. No, I but I, I, I think what they might do if they're smart, which means they won't, um, they'll include the alternate pages where he lives at the end, and they'll put it all in historical context. They'll have an essay to be like, this, this is what it was. These uh-huh. are the other pages. And in current continuity, he lived. Right. right. But they won't. I mean, they won't. Now that I've said that, mm-hmm. that's, far, that's far too smart. <laughs> I don't know. It seems to me like you should write another one of your well-regarded uh, editorials. Uh, <laughs> uh, got, uh, yeah, yeah that, that'll work. Now that I know that David Hyde is, is reading. Exactly. Yeah, that might, might actually work out for you. Um, yeah, no, I thought that that was the most... Uh, that was the one where I was kind of like, oh, they kind of... Oh what, oh, what are they doing? I mean, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, one, yeah. the one yeah. for me, the thing I saw for me that was just like, oh, what are you doing was, uh, well, twofold. One is reading that Kelly Sue DeConnick was given 48 hours to come up with the pitch and a week to come up with the first script. Yeah. Was stunning mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, what the fuck? Uh, how how they thought not only how do they think they can get people to agree to that but how do they think they can get good work out of that right you've got you've got to come out with pitch to redesign this character you've got two days right oh and then you've got a week after that to write your first script mm-hmm. is insane mm-hmm. the other was so you've heard all these people talk about the pitching process and how the pitching process was kind of crazy Mm-hmm. And then you read and choose Scott Lobdell and Fabio Nicieza, where both of them say, we were taken out for dinner or for lunch with Jim Lee and Bob Harris, and they offered us the book right there. Mm-hmm. And it really was like, wow, you you are you're making real all the jokes that people have online about you're giving you're completely treating your friends as favorites. Right. Well, uh, friends, you know, I mean former colleagues. Yeah. No, 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 no. I totally think. I mean, I, I, I obviously. Fuck buddies. I mean, seriously. <laughs> cluster fuck buddies. That's what they should call Ooh, them. Ooh, nice. 90s cluster fuck buddies. That would make a, you should TM that and throw that on a t-shirt. It's a shame we're not in the what, wait, what merchandising uh, realm. Otherwise, yes. we'd be well set to rake in the millions, my friend. Um there were parts where like Eddie Perganza was like stressing like, Oh, we've got diversity. We now have like horror and we have a Western title. And I'm like, you guys had a Western title before, didn't you? Yeah, but now it's called all star Western. It's not just doing a hex anymore. Jay. <laughs> it's got some other stars. <laughs> there is more than one star. It is all the stars, all the stars Western. Um, yeah, I just, it was, it really did. Like I read it and went, wow, gosh, it's so much harder to be optimistic than, than it was a week ago, which was so much harder than the week. Oh, no, 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 exactly. It really is. The more you hear about this, the more you just become convinced disaster is on route. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, unless it's one of those like sort of like succeed succeeds in front oh i love the part where they uh where heidi asked them and who knows maybe this was what was asked at all of them where it was like you know did you think at all about the the 58 reboot from infantino and julia schwartz and implement that as a guide 
which I thought, you know, is a clever choice and is kind of a smart idea. Because if you look at some of the stuff that was being done when they brought some of those characters back, you know, they updated their origins. In some cases, they gave them new identities, you know, but there's still enough pieces that are in place that you actually have, you know, you, you can end up bringing in, you know, Earth 2 later, for example. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah, but, and then Harris says, I think everything that has come before has been an inspiration. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Ooh. I was just like, that is such a, that's such a non-answer. I mean, it's filled with non-answers. Something that, uh, the whole thing was filled with non-answers. Almost every single one was appallingly empty. Yeah. Apart from when they slip up. Uh-huh. So, for example, seeing Vanilla Rogers and Newsarama get Eddie Braganza to say that Jeff Johns' stories are being used as a guide for the way they're presenting characters from now on was really telling, because it's the first time they've ever actually said that in public. Right. Right. Well, that's that's great that I mean, it's out there. But it makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, of course. Of, of course it does, because, right. you know, Johns is like the one of their two successful writers. Right. Well, and I just don't think, uh, I mean, you know, whether whether this Green Lantern movie flops or not, and that's more of me trying to be super optimistic, uh, there is the idea of Johns took took that character from this franchise as kind of a a thing that has, we apparently have exploded and we don't know how to fix it to where he actually fixed it and for a while made it look like it was going to be better than it had been before. So. Oh, I, I'd go further. I think he did make it better than it'd been in like ten years. Well, see, this is it. I, when I the reason why I was waffling is some people are like, no, ever, and you know, I think you and I are too much in the Englehart Green Lantern core tank to actually be. Oh, I, no, I'd I'd even say that I think Jones basically took it to the same height as Gerard Jones did in the nineties. I don't think he really. I don't think he really took it beyond that. Mm-hmm. But I also think that like you could pretty much point to Gerard Jones as like one of the highlights of. Hal Jordan as a solo character. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I I definitely, I mean, I think that Johns has done some amazing stuff and until it, it's all kind of getting kind of mucked down, but, you know, his whole, his whole color wheel concept uh, actually really did juice things up there for a, a good long time. So, yeah, I mean, I can see them being like, yeah, this is, this is our template. And, you know, I mean, I can even see how they were trying to do that with uh, Superman's Secret Origin, which I don't think came across uh, nearly as well, you know. Um, no, I, I I think, and it's a shame, actually, because if you think about it, that is the fourth revised origin for Superman since Crisis in the Earth. Right. And even exactly. that is again being thrown out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're getting... And, and again, really quickly, like within two years of publication. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I really think that DC has just did not, and by DC, I mean, apparently some, some constellation of individuals, like, did not think about what they were doing clearly enough, or didn't look at all the different angles of it, and of course, as we were talking about with Hibbs, like, it's, it's very hard to, because there's so many, but like, trying to run around, give public interviews to like, save your backlist now, is just a it's, huge it's mistake. Horrible. Yes. Yeah, it's so bad. Like it is it is the worst kind of, of waffling. Is like they if they'd asked that, they should have come up with a far better diplomatic, you know, 
great stories are great stories type response, where it's like, we feel that people are going to be so excited about these characters, they're going to want to go in, and this will be a great entry point for, you know, retailers or librarians to, you know, point to the great epics that have come before to, you know, get people more excited about what we're going to do moving forward. Yeah, I mean, what, what I think, the way to save the backlist was not to basically say, oh, it all still happened, it's okay, but to change the way you approach backlists. Stop collecting fucking everything and collect the really good stuff and present it as, here is a genuinely classic run that spots light something about the character. Well, yeah, but see, I mean, clearly they weren't, you know, they, I think they're scared enough or worried enough that they were going for their their big ones. You know, they're like, oh, oh death of the family, killing joke, identity crisis. Like, I'm like, why don't they just say that, like, you know, Watchmen's still in continuity while they're at it, you know? Don't worry, guys. Sandman's still oh, in continuity. Doing Sandman. <laughs> Talking points for next time. Uh, yeah. I don't know. The, the, what, what was interesting was all of the interviews basically had, were exactly the same interview apart from, like, one of them would have, you know, each one would have, like, one point of interest right. that they hadn't said anywhere else. The Comics Alliance one terrifies me. Really? Because Laura asks, um, is this it? Are new titles going to launch and keep rolling out in October, November, December? Right. And they say emphatically yes. Shit. Yeah, that's kind of what I was worried about. I think everyone was expecting that. Mm-hmm. I don't think at any point anyone really thought that there wouldn't be any new titles. Right. But, holy crap. I mean, what? what? Yeah. yeah, like... You, when do they stop? They've already doubled their line. Well, one and a half their line or something, right? Or or is it an actual doubling? It's 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 like one and two thirds of their line. They've gone okay. from like 31 books to 52 or something. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah. I mean, that's that's just... Mm-hmm. It's just horrible. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting was um, Kelly Hamner has said outright that the redesigns are still happening. That the images we were shown when they announced everything are not necessarily the final images for the characters. And in one of the interviews, I can't remember which one, uh, it might be the CBR interview, Organza talks about one of the reasons they want books done three months ahead of time is that they want to be able to tweak things. Oh, shit. Oh, those idiots. Oh, no, they're fucking everything up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ugh. You know, interestingly enough, this reminds me of... Um, uh, one of the things that actually did sort of make me feel kind of like, ah, oh, like... I'm like, why can't the fans run DC into the ground instead of letting DC executives run DC into the ground? Was when people were like, let's get Dev- Devin Grayson back writing DC. I would, I would love that. You know, I think that that would be a great choice. But did it, you see her response to that? When uh, when no, Gail no, was no. Hmm? She was like, uh, I would love to do that. I'm not doing that. But if you guys are all excited, uh, next year I've got a really big project coming out from Random House, which I am really happy about. Devin, I feel, was kind of run off the comic scene. Mm-hmm. Play dicks. I love the idea that she's going to have a new book out next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I... Me too. Um, and it would be great if it's... You know, she she had her own stuff that she wanted to do. You know, she was an incre- 
is an incredibly creative individual. So, but I also think she had a lot of love for, you know, the DC characters. And I, think Oh yeah. And way, especially the Batman characters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. She really like, she's somebody that like having her like in, in the bat family, I think a uh, set of titles is, is always a plus, but I do remember, I think it was at WonderCon or something. She was on a panel way back when, and she was like, yeah, you know, you learn that if you turn your stuff in on time, that just means that you have more, it's more time for the editors to mess with stuff and send changes back to you. You know, it's, it's one of the little, you know, she didn't say this part. This part was my realization is, is that there's part of the industry sort of like the later you run, the less changes you have to make just by nature of the beast. So therefore there's a little slight incentive, I suppose, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? To like turning something in so that nobody has time to, I mean, the idea that they would turn around and be like, Oh, Hey, these totally, these look great, but uh, we've, you know, need, we're actually, if you, here's the new model sheets for Batman, if you could draw them on point. Also, if you could leave out the point, about his parents being dead because we're still resolving that in meetings, you know, that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> that'd be awesome if that sort of changes the day. They're like, don't worry, Batman Inc. still happens. Nightwing was still Batman, but get this Thomas Wayne has been alive all along. All this time. That's right. And, and Bat- he's now, he's now Bat Dad. Bat Dad, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's Bat Dad, and he has a secret identity. On top of that, as bad dad, yeah. <laughs> Which Bruce hasn't caught on to yet, because because he's the world's greatest detective, except where it comes from his dad. Who's... Crazy hijinks ensue, dude. I'm telling you, why we're not pitching this stuff? Like, you know, oh, I, I have you like come up in your brain with like all the other people that should be doing comics instead. You know, last, when, last week I was like, Greg Rucker and Chris Mitten should be doing Wonder Woman. And I can't get it out of my head now. I'm like, I want to read that book rather than Brian Azrael. And today, thanks to Colin Coover's absolutely fucking hilarious Superman takes girlfriend, Lana Langstrip. Have yes. you seen it? Yeah. I honestly was like, why is Colleen not doing something? And then as soon as I was thinking, I was like, if someone, if someone in DC could get Kate Beaton to write a superhero comic. Oh my God. I know. Well, or or even, you know, frankly, I mean, I love Colleen's style. I love her as a cartoonist, but she is a very solid writer in her own Oh, no, own no, right. no, no. You know I, I mean? love to see her write a book. Yeah, just to have her write a book and and then, you know, get whatever's closer to the DC house style to draw it. But no, I, she's a tremendous talent. You know, it's kind of weird. I, for whatever reason, have avoided the whole, like... Define you know, much. Well, the, the, yeah, no, just sort of like, I think I would start getting really depressed if I started going down the route of like. Well, yeah, that's the problem with me. Like, I have started getting really depressed. I've thought of all these things and I was like, I would much rather read that book. Right. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I think was actually a really strong point. Well, it's, no, it's not a strong point. I'm sorry. One of the things that I think um, that came to my mind while reading Chris Sims's article on Comics Alliance arguing why Marvel and DC should do in-continuity webcomics, which I think is is a great... is at least a strong enough idea to try. Let's put it that way. I, you know, I see all sorts of little problems, but, but I say go for it. But 
for me, I think there's this thing of like when I see the stuff by Colleen Coover or I see, you know, the various pitches or even when people take some of the characters and use them in strips, I'm like, wow, there's such a diversity with what you can do with Batman on the internet as opposed to what you could do with Batman in a in continuity, yeah. Yeah, and I still feel that that's really the case. And I mean, that's sort of... Um, I suppose that's kind of the case, I suppose. But, you know, like, it, I mean, the, the case. I mean, that's sort of, you know, just sort of a given. But I do realize, like, in a way, the internet allows fandom to submit fanfic versions of these characters so that everyone can see them. And, you know, I've been thinking about a lot about this recently. Isn't it kind of... Isn't the fan... Isn't your relationship with the character why you're following these characters in many cases? You know what I mean? So, no. Well, I guess what I mean is, is like, if you have... Um, like... I'm interested in in Batman for whatever reason and sort of and I'm interested in what I think of as comics fandom, you know. And in the past, if you were interested in Batman, your outlet was essentially the Batman comic books. But you can go on the internet and see 9 million different interpretations of Batman, some of them not at all to your liking, some of them very much to your liking, and, and most of them assuredly pretty amateurish. But there is some stuff that's being done in a way that kind of makes me feel like the internet has the fandom side of comics, where you are interacting with other fans, and it kind of has the characters in a way that you can recognize them and sort of push the envelope with them. You can do the fan ficky stuff with them. And it's almost like that's the only thing going for the big for the big titles is the level of professionalism and the idea that what you're doing with the characters quote unquote counts. Counts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like once you once you take out the counts part of the equation, to me, it suddenly starts skewing more and more toward quality. So, you know, but, you see that that's the weird thing. I think there is a certain school of comic fans that would completely agree with you, and would point at things like um, All Star Superman mm -hmm. uh, as, or if they're of a different vein, Kingdom Come as projects published by the owners that don't take place within continuity and are better for it. Right. And it's one of those things that I feel like that argument has not only already been made, but already been won. Mm -hmm. But then there's this entirely different, crazy alien <laughs> group that are like, no, all sorts of man, sure, it's fine, but listen... In that issue of Superman by J. Michael Straczynski, the real Superman walked across America. Right. And and I think that's where I think that's what Chris's argument is. Mm -hmm. That there there's this like crazy crazily faithful audience that only wants to read about the real Superman. Mm -hmm. And so Anything else, even Ultimate Superman, will not work. So doing, um, you know, Colin Coward Superman, mm -hmm. 
they won't be able to like they won't even be able to appreciate it on any level but isn't isn't that number of fans really just the 50,000 fans that are buying superman sure but sure but here's the thing dc can't afford to piss those 50,000 fans off Mm -hmm. because if they decide on mass that they're going to actually follow through with the internet threat of never buying another superman comic because they're so upset Mm -hmm. dc's fucked Mm-hmm. It's this really weird place now where the only way the industry can survive is if. Not the only way. The most likely way the industry can survive <laughs> is if you fuck the long term obsessives. Mm-hmm. But no one can fuck the long term obsessives. Well, sure. Sure. I mean, but. I, uh... I think that there are probably ways to do it, and it sort of seems like maybe, because this is my thing. Uh, um, aren't you? It seems to me like you're there's it's you're running much closer to fucking the long term obsessives by relaunching the entire universe, you know, with fifty two titles. I mean, thank God they at least have but, Flashpoint but, as their in continuity like key to. But here's the thing: are, that. Are, are you? Because what you're saying is, this isn't the Superman that you're used to counting, but it's the one that counts now. Like, this is still the real Superman. This is the real Superman that you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I think where where the problem comes in is when you go, this is the real Superman, and over there is All-Star Superman, mm-hmm. and you have them coexist. I think you have to have one version of the character that quote-unquote counts. I I, I, and I I disagree in so many levels, but I think in order to sell to the hardcore, mm-hmm. I think that's what you have to do. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I kind of, I, I looking at the sales, and admittedly they are that kind of sweet spot that's really hard to duplicate with like, say, Fabian Chizia and Ed Benz, but like looking at the sales of All Star Superman by Morrison and Quitely, it seems to me that I'm not sure that that's really true. Like I think that if you have that, I think the majority of the marketplace will follow enough of will follow the creators if the creators are talented to the point where yeah, you could get the Ultimates uh, outselling the Avengers. And it, sure, but how many creators of that level do you actually have? Very few. Especially how many does, does DC have? Sure, even fewer. You know, like... I, I mean, if, like if, you want to, if you want to play that game with everyone available in the comics industry, sure, you could do it. Mm-hmm. If you want to play the game with the people available to DC, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, you're, you're talking a handful or less. When yeah. DC starts seriously straight-facedly calling, like, Francis Manipal a superstar artist. Right. That's that's because they don't have any genuine superstar artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I know. Um, I, I'm I'm aware of it. It just also seems to me like I'm sort of... I guess, You're in oh, denial. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm in <laughs> denial that he's a superstar talent. No, 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 no. I, I, I think you're right. I think for, for whatever reason, I'm being somewhat dead brained this this whole podcast through in some ways but all all of it is a way to sort to me to kind of say like yeah i don't the the dream team thing is kind of frustrating because i kind of feel like it's that it's it's not just oh if the if they got 
X on the title, it would be great. It would be like, oh, if they got X on the title and they were allowed to do Y, then it would be great. You know, it just becomes all these sorts of sets of hurdles where at, at a certain point I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure if the, I'm just not sure if the publishing mechanism, you know, like I, I, I kind of feel like I'm just like five months away from becoming a, a crazy fanfic writer on the internet, Graham, is what I'm saying. And I'm like, I can't wait for five months from now then. <laughs> because like, your cyborg fanfic will probably be more interesting than Jeff Johns taking care do you think so? Because he's got a cat. He's got a bionic cat. <laughs> right there, that is more interesting to me. <laughs> Cyborg and his bionic cat. Yeah. Issue one. Okay, so you're writing it, obviously. I think we could probably get like a big name to draw it. Let's try and get... Hmm, who? Let's get Joe Bennett. Why not? Ah, I was thinking J.G. <laughs> Jones. Oh, hey, but that brings us back to Avenging Spider-Man in a... Uh... Oh, God, Avenging Spider-Man. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh Avenging Spider-Man. Oh, Marvel, it's an it's a big thing. No, it's not. It's another fucking Spider-Man book. It's another fucking Spider-Man book by Joe Maduro, which means you'll get maybe... I love how they're like, it's monthly. Really? It's really monthly? It's sure. a monthly comic with Joe Maduro? Yeah, that that'll be great for the two months it ships monthly. Exactly. Issue one and two, and then it's gone, my friend. Maybe but it's a, maybe it's a two issue monthly series. You know. But, but here's here's the thing, Zeb Wells is a good writer. He was the best writer of the brand new day team. Right. Hands down, Zeb Wells saying this is pretty much Marvel team up, except we're calling it Avenging Spider Man. I would be on board. Marvel trying to convince me that this is the most exciting thing they're doing, and by putting Joe Majira on it. It's like, they, they were like, these two things you want, you're seven steps back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I have to say, well, this is it. I'm sure the it started with the, with Joe Mad. Like, I'm sure they're like, oh, this is huge. But yeah, I've never been so turned off as like, even just the title, even just Avenging Spider-Man. I'm like, it's so hilarious, isn't it? I mean, we're so close to the advantageous Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> we're so close to the advantageous Spider-Man. If only they had done that. So yeah, I'm sure Zeb Wells is going to do great stuff. I probably won't pick up the book, and when I look, I mean, I won't be buying the book. And when I look at it on the stands, provided there are copies left, and by copies I mean a direct market, uh, I will be like, mm, Joe Mad's art, like his his stuff on the Ultimates three. Oh, it was. Was eye opening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. Eye opening is the perfect term for it. Uh, oh God, that was. So yeah, it, it was. It was stunning. And it, I just can't get over Marvel being like, "This is a secret project. We can't tell you about it. It's going to blow your minds." I think the only thing that blew anyone's mind was everyone was like, "That's it." Right. <laughs> I mean, it really between that and the death of Bucky, I honestly think Marvel has just given up. Right. These no, are like, we're changing the entire game. And Marvel, like, fuck you. We've got a new Spider Man book. And in this one, he teams up with the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> but admittedly, based on how we were talking previously, uh, I'm kind of relieved, you know? I, 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 I'm not. I mean. Dude, last week, I mean, there are people on, on my Twitter stream that were genuinely scared by the way that you and Hibbs were talking. You know about 
what what is Marvel going to do? The fact that we oh, worried I'm, about I'm, st- I'm still worried about Marvel yes. in a long time, but I don't think Marvel's going to do anything for six months. You are so funny because you're totally like, oh, I'm totally worried about what they're doing, but they're not doing anything. Wussies, get out there and do something. Wussies, <laughs> like you're so schismed between. <laughs> a part of me's team team Cyclops, part of me's team Wolverine. I just can't decide. I'm telling you, because because Cyclops, right? He's he's really he's keeping it all inside, but he's keeping it all together as well. Whereas Wolverine just can't keep it together, Jeff. He's just, just gonna lose his shit sometimes, and that's dangerous. Can you really trust that man with the future of an entire race? I don't think so. That's why Cyclops, I think, is is really the man you're looking for. But at the same time, he just denies all of himself, and he can't embrace everything. Oh, and, and torn. So you you're saying you're not sure if you're team team Cyclops or team Wolverine, or you're saying you're. I'm, both? I'm I can see the benefits of both. I think they're both <laughs> strong leaders. Uh, I also read X Men Second Coming this week, talking about X Men. Uh huh. Um, and that's a comic. <laughs> yes. Wait, which one is Second Coming again? Second Coming is the end of that whole Messiah complex. Um, the mutant is born. She goes to the future. She comes back. Everyone fights. Um, it's like it's. The second coming is what happens when grown men who grew up not only reading Claremont in their early teens, but in their later teens and early 20s, reading Love, Dylan, and Nightjesa, um, get to work in the X-Men books and pretty much spend 12 issues masturbating. <laughs> that, that's what second coming is. So this is the plot of second coming. It's, it's an all too literal title then, apparently. <laughs> Sadly. This, this is the plot of second coming, okay? Right. Hope, the mutant that was born after the normal mutants thing, is therefore somehow magically like the quote-unquote hope of the mutant race, returns from the future where she was sent with Cable to keep her safe. Okay, and let's just admit, because that is the, like, did it have to be so on the nose? You know what I mean? Like, well, her, Hope is only her nickname. Oh, thank God, okay. Her full name is Hope for the Future of the Mutant Race. <laughs> Um, so she comes back with uh, with the cable, okay? And the bad guys are out to find her. And guess who the bad guys are? Bastion and Sebastian Shaw and Cameron Hodge. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who? That's my point. If you haven't been obsessively reading X-Men titles for 20 years, what the fuck? Well, Also, okay. do you know how they track him? They track Cable through his techno-organic virus. <laughs> then... They somehow put, yeah, yes, he does. They then uh, trap all of San Francisco in a globe of energy that no one can break through. And then bring sentinels from the days of future past future, I shit you not, to the present. Right. To kill off the mutant race. Right. Obviously, as you do, you send the superheroes to the future where they destroy all the Sentinels, and I swear to God, I hope that is the end of Days of Future Past as a plot device. Please fucking God. Right. Um, then Cable dies to bring everyone home. He uh-huh. just gets blown up. Um, and Hope miraculously restarts the human race, even though you don't understand why. Right. The, the end. Oh, and Nightcrawler dies in the middle of it. Yeah, which I heard was kind of such a disposable kind of like blink it's, and you'll miss it. It's really hilarious. His death is blink and you miss it and completely pointless. And then you have an issue afterwards 
of everyone being like he was the greatest of all of us. And we're being like, fuck you, Slim. Fuck you, you. Fuck you. He was the only one who believed in me. Fuck you. Fuck. He was furry. I'm furry. We were brothers. Fuck you. Fuck you. I can't be part of this. What do you want me to do? Kill people? That's okay. Oh, fuck you. I mean, it's... it's Graham, Graham. Yeah. I don't know how much money it will take, but I will get the money for you to do staged readings of the Wolverine books. Because, Graham McMillan, you are my favorite Wolverine. You have beat out Hugh Jackman and most of the cartoon voices. That was so good. <laughs> that was a much better Canadian accent than any cartoon Wolverine has ever managed. That is true. Well, the, there is just there is just that line where, like, <laughs> crotchety old scottish guy equals wolverine and is so on the money like it was great the intonation the like thanks just, by the way for calling me old i i'm because you were trying to sound old you weren't trying to, <laughs> you were trying to sound grizzled you didn't sound like you that's sure. what i'm saying dude you're younger than me believe me i do not think of you as old in the slightest and not just because of that i'd like to, i'd like to point out to everyone that i will never be able to do that voice again so anyone who enjoyed it just make an MP3 edit of that and put it on a loop because I'll never be able to do it again. Sadly, you're talking to the person who's audio editing this, so I will make sure that that raw material will be later available for people because it was brilliant. I really am. I'm just, I'm kind of in uh, awe. I really would. Second coming, Jeff. It's really not good. I mean, it's 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 really not good. It did have a restart my masochistic urge to read all of my fashions X-Men. <laughs> I read it all through um, Utopia, right. and that was when the library like collection stopped, mm-hmm. and so I started reading it. And then reading this, I was like, I'm going to go back and read Digital Mist to see if they're as bad as this. Wow. I have no idea what the masochistic urge is, but it's definitely there. I was, uh, at the risk of changing subjects somewhat, I don't remember what I was looking through, uh, but it was some comic book where the Sentinels popped up, and I went, I am so done with them. I am like the only place I wanted to see a Sentinel was pretty much like Marvel versus Capcom three. And that was it. Like I'm, I am so done. It was some sort of, uh, God, I want to say it was the, what, what's, Oh, it's the storyline that's going on that. What's the storyline that Chris Yost is writing for, for Marvel? Like what, what X-Men title is that? Uh, is Chris Josh writing an X-Men type? I thought he was. Isn't he writing... Shit. So he's he's writing this story where it's like the showdown between the X-Men and... Oh, God, yeah, he was... No, he, he's doing a run on X-Men. Is it just X-Men? It's just he's doing, X-Men. He's doing a run on X-Men right now. I completely forgot about that. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so that whole storyline where it's like suddenly Cyclops remembers all this stuff that had originally happened when the group first formed because... Which is just like um, Second Coming. Uh, Second Coming, where all of a sudden they're like, hey, remember this team we never remembered before? Right. Which was what they did with Deadly Genesis, of course. You know, Brubaker did that, that whole like, oh yeah, then there was the team that he... That's what I'm saying. I, that, that's oh, okay. All right. So I didn't know that that was the same title you were talking about. So yeah, exactly. Deadly Genesis. Right. So he pulled that. That's right. Second Genesis is the, the uh, giant size. Yeah, you're right. right. Yeah. So they, they have some scene where it's, I think they're, you know, in the flashback sequence, they're beating a hasty retreat before the Sentinels show up. And I was just like, 
Wow. I, I'm so tired of the Sentinels. I'm so tired. I seriously, I don't ever want to see them again, ever. You know what I mean? Well, that's sad because you're reading an X-Men book. And if there's one thing that comes around all the fucking time in X-Men, yeah, it's Sentinels. That, that's, that's why I'm hoping Second Coming genuinely is the point where they're like, you know what? We can say goodbye to Days of Future Past now. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that's it. I was kind of like you saying all that stuff. I'm like, great. All they have to do is like then take out Age of Apocalypse. I mean, the X Men really are like X Men gets an idea and is like, we will mine this fucker to death. Yeah, and that's just while Chris Claremont's doing it. And then when he leaves, everyone else is going to be like, oh man, I can't wait. I can't believe I'm doing a Sentinel story. This is so awesome. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, no, please. No, it'll be awesome. And we'll bring back the Hellfire I, Club. And... I will, well, you know that the Hellfire Club is at the core of X-Men Schism, right? Uh, there, there's going to be an all-new Hellfire Club by the end of it. Well, great. That's good. <laughs> really? No, really? seriously. I, well, I mean, I like the, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I'm one of those guys who, because I skipped out on stuff, like, there's times where it's like, oh, yeah, then we're bringing back the Marauders. And I'm like, the, I vaguely remember them. And it's, then we're bringing back those scary Australian bounty hunters who never bathed. The Reavers. Yeah, thank you. My God. Uh, unless unless that's another group that you're talking about. Like, no, all no, these guys. no, the Reavers are the, the scary Australian cyborgs. Ah, thank you. Right? So they've got all this stuff. They're like, we're bringing them back. And I'm like, I don't even remember half these people. But, you know, they're going, when they stick to the tried and true that I remember, I'm like, dudes, I'm so done with them. Like, so part of me is like, sure, Hellfire Club, why not? I remember the idea of it. I will pick it up and do something different with it. As we said, in terms of bringing things back, uh, the the teaser images that they've released for Schism, first of all, are appalling. I yeah. can't believe they're selling it on. Hey, it's Cyclops or Wolverine. I know you've seen that seven million times before, even if you haven't read an X-Men book in 20 years. But <laughs> seriously, this time's different. Right. I, I, that's, but um, the, when they released the, the uh, pages from the first issue, and it's Quentin, uh, Quentin Choir from Morrison's run back, right. mm-hmm. it's honestly like, did you not read that comic? Yeah. How, how can you bring that character back? How can anyone bring that character back? Well, they've got a couple whole, like, however long it is, like 40 years to kill before he comes back as Phoenix or something, right? Like, yeah, but, but okay, so, but it was okay. So he appeared in the pages, and I was like, this is terrible. I'm getting to fight with Benjamin Purdy on Twitter about this because he's like, it's awesome. And I was like, this is terrible. And I then um, Wikipedia Quinn inquired to find out how his story ends because I haven't read that in a long time. Right. And I discovered that he's actually been back for a while. Yeah, he. And he came, he, came, he came back because, according to the official story, he got bored being an enlightened deity, so he thought he'd come back to Earth as a human and be a supervillain. <gasps> Who the hell wrote that? What? I don't know, but isn't that hilarious? <laughs> I know that I've become super enlightened and realized that conflict is an artificially constructed uh, structure by humanity. However... Once okay. I figured that I, out... I, I thought I'd come back to be a supervillain. You know, it's like a video game. And once you figure out it's like a video game, why not go back and fuck shit up? What the hell? That is actually the entire plot of Tron 3. That would be great. That would be great. It's actually called Tron Fuck Shit Up. <laughs> it could have done better than what they had in the theaters for Tron Legacy, it sounds like. Like, people would have been like, 
Tron fuck shit up, I'll go see that. <laughs> I totally would. Uh, I saw the trailer for Tron Legacy last night. I was watching um, Tangled, of all things. The, uh, the last Disney animated movie that came out, which is, by the way, absolutely fucking spectacular. Wait, uh, what is Tangled. It? Tank, oh, Tangled. Thank the, you, sorry. The Rapunzel movie was actually genuinely wonderful. I heard um, things, yeah. But no, the, on the DVD, they have the trailer for Tron, before the, the Tron Legacy. Right. And I honestly, I want to see it, but I want to see it in, in the same impulse that I, I want to read Fraction's X-Men comics. Mm-hmm. As in, like, I know there's almost no way that I will enjoy it. Right. But I kind of can't help myself. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can sort of, I have to, I understand the temptation almost. Because there's times where I keep telling myself, oh, I'll get around to seeing that at some point. You know, but I remember seeing that trailer and just being like, I want almost nothing to do with it. Oh, no, the only reason I want to see it is the special effects. Well, yeah, and for me, that's kind of the weird, I want to see this, I want to see, see CGI Jeff Bridges. I hate to say it. But that's why I want to see it. But when they've got that opening sequence with the light cycles and they're like bouncing and like like being able to like weave, like I'm like, what they're doing? Like you know what I mean? Like you can't make that's a, not a light cycle. You can't. It's only straight lines. How did you guys screw this up? Didn't you watch the movie? <laughs> like, uh, oh hey, look, I'm driving a light tank and it's actually a bicycle. Like, <laughs> wait, <that's, laughs> but, but Jeff, Jeff, here's the thing. Rendering has come along a long way since the 80s. Right. It's not just straight lines anymore. Yeah. That's, that's the point. It's a metaphor. Oh, is, is that it? Is that it's what a, it it's is? It's a metaphor, Jeff. Yeah. You just, you just don't see the beauty in what they're saying. <laughs> Actually, I have to be said, like, if, if they set the sequel to Tron in Portland, that would have been awesome. <laughs> You know? And it's not actually within a video game at all. It's just like ground control as people play video games. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, or just just get away with the budget. Like make it for like 40 bucks, call it like Tron Legacy. And then like the amazing world of the computer future is just Portland. And it's like, wow, the future's come such a long way. Oh, yeah. so you've got people realistic. like walking, walking through Portland and just yeah. being like, look at the graphics. <laughs> it's It's like I'm actually here. Like it would be perfect, you know? Seriously, light cycles, bicycles, light tanks, food trucks. You know, you just it, it do maps. It. You've got it right. Yeah. You know, you, you know what you're suggesting? Sounds to me like Jeff Barker and Eric Moon's buckle, like yes. with, a, with a really big budget. <laughs> I feel like you're saying someone should make a really, really expensive buckle movie. I think that would be great, but the trick is to call it Tron and insist what you're seeing is Tron at all times. You Tron. know what I mean? What'd you say? Toronto. <laughs> no, Jeff. You don't make it in Portland. You make it in Toronto. Oh. And you call it yes. Toronto. 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 Yeah. Toronto. Excellent. And all you do, yeah, you can actually use like I half feel- of the footage from Scott Pilgrim and just layer it. Yeah. You film it in like blacklight, and so everything goes. Yes. Exactly. I was watching Scott Pilgrim the other night. Scott Pilgrim's still fucking great. I it, it makes me so sad that Scott Pilgrim wasn't a hit. Scott Pilgrim was just a great film. You know, it really was. It was it was the opposite of a hit. Um, yeah, 
That is a, that's a flop, I believe. Yes. I just wanted to point that out. You're like, it makes me sad that it's a hit. I'm like, I have no, bad I, news No, I said you. that it wasn't a hit. Yeah. No, no, no. I know. But that's what I'm saying is saying that Scott Pilgrim isn't a hit is still dressing that up. You know what I mean? Did it do that badly? I'm going to have to go and look now. I, 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 I mean, I remember, I remember it really like, didn't do well, but I'm wondering, like, now, at this I, point. They spent like, didn't they spend like sixty million in it before oh, did, you even get to the promotion, and it made thirty-two did you, million? Did you see, yes. by the way, how much they spent on promotion for Green Lantern? No, how much? You, your head will explode. Are you ready? I okay, yes. Three hundred million dollars. Okay, see, this is what I heard. I saw that three hundred million dollar thing, and my head exploded. Was that just that's the movie that's, plus that's, the advertising? No, that, that's that's the promotion, Jeff. No, you can't spend $300 million that, on just a movie. That's what the rumor is. No. That's what the rumor is. $300 million on just the advertising? That's the rumor. That doesn't really make I sense. mean, it seems insane, but yeah. also not impossible. When you consider just how much fucking promotion there's been for going on. Now, now, just out of curiosity, because I am admittedly dim and dumb, and there are no quote-unquote like the biggest of the big names in Green Lantern is Ryan Reynolds, who is yes, small. Is, who is Ryan Reynolds? Yeah, yeah. So, are, are we sure it's not like the movie plus the budget equals three hundred million? I mean, because that's a lot of money, but it makes more sense to me. Like two hundred million for the movie and a hundred million for the budget. Because I mean, like three hundred million is like I, I, i'm just checking i'm not I, yeah, let's see i'm looking it up right now as well also please, scott pilgrim please. really did only make 32 yeah that's horrible yeah so it didn't even make back what it cost and then they dumped again they dumped half the budget in advertising so that's what i'm saying as sad as it is For worldwide it only made 47 million Ooh, yeah and it cost 60 million to make that yeah yeah horrible. yeah so so, Nonetheless, my point before was it's actually still a great film. I was yes. watching last night and just being like, this is really great. It is a terrific film. It is a flop. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, that's a massive flop. That's a, yeah. I, I am so glad that Edgar Wright had other work lined up flop. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, I'm I'm so sad about it. Although I'm, I'm at this point willing to bet the Green Lantern will, as a flop, completely outclass that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, th- I think Green is going to have a reasonable opening weekend. I think it's probably going to make somewhere between 15 and 60 million. And I think word of mouth is just going to kill it stone fucking dead after that. Okay, according to the New York Times, it's 300 million, including the film and marketing. Wow. So that's okay. all in total 300 million. Okay, thank God. Okay, because I really was. I was like, Graham, you're talking like that. I just can't, like, those numbers, like, for 300 million, they could bus us all to that movie. And they're, they're saying, this is hilarious, it's expected to make as much money as X Men First Class, which pretty much costs, like, what, a sixth of that? I mean, X Men First Class did not cost a lot of money. Right, right. Yeah, no, exactly. X Men, which. And I'm hearing good reviews about. I'm I'm gonna have to see X Men First Class. Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna see it in DVD. I don't think I'm gonna see it in theaters. Oh, really? I might see it in the theaters. Although, the the this, these huge summer releases, they really close the narrow the window for the other big summer releases. Like, I think if I don't see Thor in the next week, I'm not gonna see it in the theaters. Yeah, know? it's crazy. It's like you know, I feel a pressure to see Super Eight. Yeah, and Six Eight came out last week. Yes, and I honestly, I'm like, I should see Super Eight in the next couple of weeks. Right, 
because it's going to be gone in like three, you know, yeah. or like I, it's going to be greatly diminished by three and impossible to find in like, I don't know, five or something. Unless, of course, I just wait to get it on second run here in Portland, which might be a lot more sense. See, that's it. You guys, all your second run theaters, it's kind of awesome. Like, yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, X-Men for a class apparently costs $160 million. Wow. And that, again, budget plus ad, advertising? That right? just seems to be production budget from what I'm seeing. Oh, interesting. Whereas Super 8, for example, mm-hmm. which opened at... Let's see what was this opening weekend. Okay, so X-Men's first class's opening weekend was fifty-one million, I believe. Right. Um at hundred and sixty million. Super eight made thirty-five million for yep. about fifty million. Right. So Super Eight is already, if you factor in and it's been out for a week, right. already if you factor in domestic and foreign, it's mm-hmm. already made all its money back. Well, all of its production money. Yeah. I, I think Super Eight dropped a serious amount of coin on their Advertising, but yeah, exactly. They're going to recoup. Like Super Eight, Super, is, Super is going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be. They're right in the neighborhood. That's not going to be a problem for them at all. But yeah, no. When you get to these bigger numbers, I mean, it's crazy that X Men First Class took that much to make. You know, it just. I mean, part of it is I know the effects aren't cheap, um, especially if you want them done well, um, and done on time. But holy smokes. Yeah, so anyway, right. X-Men First Class, I will probably see Green Lantern. There's part of me, like, if the reviews are really bad, I'm, I I don't know if I'll see it in the theaters, frankly. Well, I from every review I've seen, I don't think you're going to see it in the theaters, then. <laughs> I've, not, I've not seen one positive thing said about this film yet. Right. The most positive thing I've heard mm-hmm. was said to me, you know, on the download, and uh-huh. it was... It doesn't do anything actively wrong. It just doesn't do anything right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. And that's the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you've got a problem. Yeah. No, I know. It's. It'll be interesting. I wonder if this is again this sort of, <laughs> like they've been doing the testing for Green Lantern. Obviously, I suspect, and I wonder if that's the whole like reason why there was that huge like yeah fuck comic-con article in like the new york times like (laughs) hollywood says to san diego drop dead (laughs) honestly thank god if that's true seriously just think can you imagine like in like three or four years we could actually like the idea that i could afford to attend comic-con that i could actually get a hotel room i actually i am incredibly amused at the idea because comic-con sold out like before the end of comic-con last year yes I love the idea that everyone who bought the tickets last year is going to be like, wait, the movie people aren't going to be there? I kind of love that. I like the idea that they're going to be like, wait, so the biggest media people are going to be here is like the cast of Chuck and people from ABC Family? What the fuck? <laughs> I know, right? It's like, let's keep our fingers crossed. I mean, you know, I'm just I'm just not a Hall H kind of guy. I would be perfectly just the idea of like, oh my god, to think that I could actually stay during Comic Con and not have to pay two hundred dollars a night for a hotel room is like Don't say that I've still got to work out when I'm going down. Still? Have you not did you okay, did you you do you are going, right? You work that out with the Comic Con people, they Oh yeah, I know I've got my I've got my pass and everything. It's right. literally the when do I go and how long do I stay? How like? do I stay and where do I stay sort of stuff? Well I kind of got that under as well it's literally when do i go and how long do i stay now oh okay well that's not so bad then Graham. you got most of it like nailed down i just i i douglas and i douglas woke and i were talking about this yesterday and we're both like 
if someone would just offer to pay. I'm like, but it's so funny because last year we both had people fighting over us. Right. Fighting over to pay for us to go. Yeah. And this year no one's paying. Well, I Which think... again shows like how the mainstream media is essentially staying away from Comic Con this year. Well, it's a two step, right? Like it might be that and it might be because I remember one of the things that you were telling me, I don't remember if it was from Con last year or not, but the idea that um Part part of the problem with cons now is is that people can break stuff on Twitter faster than than even the internet media can break stuff. That was I would say that was before last year because I remember last year, Techlands pretty much broke the, um, Sweden admitting that he was doing Avengers mm-hmm. because I essentially emailed it to their offices and they had it up within two minutes. Wow! Like from from the the, the Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think last year people started finding ways around it. Yeah, and so I think that's it. I think there are people who, like you, who figured out ways around it. I don't think those ways necessarily have filtered up to to management. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just the mainstream media has cooled and no one's interested and everyone's burnt out. It's, it's not worth the money to invest in it, but, um, you know... I think that means that just in in another two or three years, San Diego will have something that will really turn everything around, you know, in the sense of like all of a sudden people will be excited again, but just get it to a point where I can actually afford to go. That would be lovely. Yeah. So you're definitely not going this year. I'm definitely not going. Yes. I I suppose, I guess we're still actually talking on, uh, uh, on mic, despite no, the fact he... that it's been an hour and 45 minutes. No, 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 we're, we're still theoretically recording. So yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to say, like, go out and like, Graham, I'll admit this, I have no pants. I can't afford to go to San Diego. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not going to San Diego. It's just, it's... it's Listeners, let's start a Kickstarter right now. It's oh, big, please. What we should do is don't, get don't, the Kickstarter. Don't, don't you tempt me, don't you tempt me to start a Kickstarter to get you to go to San Diego. Me? Get one for you, man. You're the one that actually would be doing, like, the the actual interesting reporting. Well, this is it. Maybe we should start a Kickstarter for us to go to <laughs> We'll just do exclusive coverage for Savage Critic. And, hey, uh, listeners, if you want, the, if you think this is not the worst idea in the world, leave something in the comments. Yeah. We'll do it. <laughs> Don't think we won't. It's true. We've got the passes. All we need are like... The, the, funny, the funny thing is, I actually got an email just before we got on online um, asking me to uh, moderate a panel. Ah. And I feel that starts to lock me into right. having to go for five days, to be honest. Because yeah. if I say yes now, mm-hmm. I don't know when that panel is going to be. What's the panel? Can you can you I don't know. about it? I don't know. Oh, you were just asked. It was, uh, would you be available to moderate a panel email? Not oh, uh, I this particular panel. That'd be great. It would be awesome if, like, you've been requested to, you know, moderate DC, A New Beginning. Oh, I'd, I'd moderate the shit out of that one. Oh, I'm I, sure. I have spent maybe the last week reading interviews with DC people and just being like, oh, God, I wish I'd had that opportunity to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, you fucked up that opportunity. <laughs> so, so many people. I'd be like, really? You didn't ask them that? Really? Seriously? Uh, I, I'm like, I know what these interviews are like. I know there's every possibility to try to ask some questions and shut down. Right, and we're told specifically we will not be addressing that. 
Yeah. You can't ask. But nonetheless, there are so many entries where I've just been like, really? <laughs> I, I've come totally a backseat driver for the comics internet over this DC thing. Oh, I'm sure. I've well, seen yeah. so many articles where I'm like, that's just a waste of space, and that's getting so many hits, and it depresses me. Well, I, I have to say I didn't follow all the rest of the interviews, but I kind of felt that way about, about Heidi's. I, I was really I like... All, all of them are essentially the same interview. Right, so they've got to all be pressed into that super... into that format, I guess. So, I mean, I can't really count it against... There, there, there are some that... Um, I know we will talk about this off, Mike. Uh, there are some who make the most of it and some who quite clearly are, couldn't be arsed. Right. Well, speaking of which, sir, it is almost uh, four... It is. It's, it's been like an hour and 45 minutes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Theoretically recording. Yeah. Although, when you edit, it'll be interesting to see if, like, we say this at, like, the 90-minute mark, and it was like, where's that missing 15 minutes? He probably <laughs> hasn't cut a lot out, listen. He's probably just cut, like, the gaps of us out. Ah. Uh, Why, have you had people but... actually, like, be all Zapruder film about the uh, discrepancies there? Or... No, 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 I haven't, but I, I just wonder that... Well, I think that one of these days we're going to do that. We're going to be like, we've been talking for two hours, and we'll have cut, like, a massive chunk in the middle I, I'd already be like, it's a 45-minute podcast, what happened? Yeah, exactly. I've never had that big a jump, but there actually have been times where I said, well, we've been talking for two hours, and when I'm editing, I look at it, and it's like an hour and 45 minutes. I'm like, eh, you know, it's, our listeners are grown-ups. They know what's going on. So, yeah. But uh, see, what a lovely sign-off. We should come up our with list, Our listeners are grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best we can do. Listeners, we should come up with like a proper way of saying goodbye, shouldn't we? I was reading this thing the other day where people were like, you know, I want to listen to podcasts where they put a bit of showmanship into it. And it's not just two guys talking to each other. And I was like, oh, crap. Right. That's totally what we do. So, you know, we should we should have some form of like thing. Like we should have, I don't know, like a song or right. or catchphrases or something. <laughs> Nothing? Yeah, no, it's, I've thought about this before, and it's always problematic for me because I feel like in order to do showmanship, you have to be showy, I guess, you know? Like, I really feel like our charms, such as they are, seem to be working for us, and the idea that we'd somehow dress it up with a degree of affectation. Like, admittedly, I was still proud of myself for putting in the sad trombone for... Uh, <laughs> for our last podcast when it crashed out. I was like, oh, this will be clever. But I really, you know, like, but apart from that, like, and let's face it, Graham, we've already had you given readings as Wolverine. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I did something comedic at some point. <laughs> I, I was actually, I had that moment of like, God, should I work up some sort of shtick and bring back Alan Moore as a character? And I'm Oh my God, yes. You know, but. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, but only if you read from Wolverine comics every week. See, I think I that this you, is... I couldn't do that voice again if it killed me. <laughs> I don't remember how I did that voice. I don't remember the voice. <laughs> I will I will I will send you the clip. It's awesome. Like it's simple. Just drink some tea and honey afterward. It's it's worth it for the listeners, Graham. And by the listeners I mean me. It was awesome. I, I loved it. <laughs> so anyway Listeners, yes. I hope that if nothing else my Wolverine impression was your entertainment for this episode and made the whole let's call it an hour 45 work. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that the fact that Jeff and I just completely like went completely off topic multiple times as we tend to do although I would like to point out I haven't talked about cleanse so 
I can't even remember who it was that was complaining about clowns, but you're welcome. Yes, no, it's um, true. I had that same thing of like, oh, right, we didn't mention it, which I was tempted to, yes. No, but we we only mentioned it here because we didn't mention it. So yeah. I really can't remember who complained about it, but you're welcome. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And let's see, what what else can we do to, to earn our worth here? No, you don't... Uh, is that it? Is that all we provide? Yeah, I mean that's. Oh shit! We should really work up something, Jeff. We should, we should, we should bring it. We should bring it. Yeah, essentially that is that is the idea. Is we should like bring it. It, it should be brought by us. Yes. There should be bringing. There, 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 there will come a bringing. I feel, um, I feel that that should be like a tagline for a film. It will be brought. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of a catchy title, I have to say. Uh, like, maybe if, like, Paul Thomas Anderson had, like, made one of those You Got Served dance-style movies. You know? Oh my god, that'd be so great. It's, it's, it will be brought, you know? Maybe with, like, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, the teacher who raps and dances, who teaches them, you know, about... I want to live on Earth, James. <laughs> <laughs> It is an amusing place to live, I'll give you that. But, uh, <laughs> it sounds so much better.